Hello, I'm Peter Van Dusen, and this is the Primetime Politics Podcast. Hello, I'm Peter Van Dusen, and this is Primetime Politics on CPAC, the campaign edition. Day 12 of the election campaign, Canadians go to the polls on September 20th. On the election trail today, Canada's emergency airlift in Afghanistan has come to an end. What about the fate of people left behind as two suicide bombings leave a dozen U.S. service members and 60 Afghans dead? We'll look at what's next in Canada's response to the crisis in Afghanistan. The party leaders made campaign promises today about seniors, housing and workers. Our party commentators will be here to discuss the latest developments. But first, to the day on the campaign trail. Liberal leader Justin Trudeau campaigned in Quebec City and Trois-Rivières in ridings held by the Bloc Québécois, but where there's likely to be tight three-way races, including the Conservatives. Liberals need to scoop up some of those Bloc ridings to have any chance at a majority government. The Liberal leader promised a permanent increase in the guaranteed income supplement paid to the lowest-income seniors in Canada. Single seniors over the age of 65 would get up to $500 a year more. $750 a year more for couples. This is a recognition of the challenges seniors face during this pandemic, but also the responsibility we have to lift even more seniors out of poverty. The end of Canada's emergency airlift in Afghanistan also figured prominently on the campaign trail today. Justin Trudeau promising Canada's efforts to get people out will continue. This particular moment is done and it's heartbreaking to see. But there is much more to do and Canada will continue to be there uh, for Afghans and uh, Afghan people. Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole was back in Ottawa at the party's TV studio at an Ottawa hotel. O'Toole promised a conservative government would require companies that employ 1.7 million so-called gig workers, those on contracts or on call, to pay pension and EI premiums into a new savings fund for workers. This is an innovative new benefit for an innovative new part of our economy, the gig economy. Those workers are left out completely now with this new employee savings account that is portable. It gives them the flexibility to to make payments to, to CPP themselves, gives them flexibility to have an account if there's a crisis, if there's a prolonged economic recession. The Conservative leader also weighed in on the end of Canada's emergency airlift in Afghanistan. I will act, and we would have gotten people out before the chaos erupted. But like most issues, Mr. Trudeau is late, no leadership, and Canadians deserve a government that will be ahead of challenges, and that's what Canada's Conservatives will offer. Just all of us together, you know, family fighting for people. NDP leader Jagmeet Singh campaigned in Winnipeg, where the party holds two seats. He was focused on the housing crisis in Canada. Singh promising an NDP government would double the first-time homebuyers' tax credit and convert it to a rebate so that homebuyers get the money sooner at the time of purchase, not at tax time. The NDP also promises to build 500,000 affordable homes over the next decade and to slap a 20% tax on foreign homebuyers. Housing, uh, buying a home, renting a home has all gone up because Justin Trudeau and the Conservatives before have not made the right investments to tackle this problem. 
we are going to tackle this problem. We are going to make sure it's a priority. Singh was also asked about the end of Canada's emergency airlift in Afghanistan and blamed the Prime Minister for failing to get everyone out in time. It's very clear that, that Justin Trudeau really dropped the ball on this. Uh, it's sad, though, that that's the case. And I, I just I want to encourage us to do whatever we can now with our international allies to support uh, any efforts possible to, to evacuate those allies that support us and their families. Uh, I'm just really worried about them now. The Green Party leader also offered her reaction. This was foreseeable, this was avoidable, and it is a national shame. I am asking that we do the right thing, suspend our campaign so that we can all concentrate our attention on where it should be, which is figuring out how we can rescue those that have been left behind in Afghanistan. Bloc Québécois leader Yves-François Blanchette campaigned in Chicoutimi, Quebec, a riding won in the last election by the Conservatives, as the bloc goes on the offensive trying to build on its 32 seats in the province. Blanchette slammed federal subsidies to the fossil fuel industries in Western Canada and called for more federal subsidies for clean tech companies in Quebec's forestry sector. And that's the kind of day it's been, day 12 of the campaign. Now to the crisis in Afghanistan, where Canada's emergency airlift of those trying to escape the country is now over. The last flight out happened earlier today ahead of the pullout of U.S. forces from the airport in Kabul. Today, at least two explosions resulted in the deaths of U.S. service members, 12 of them, and 60 Afghans. A total of 3,700 people destined for Canada were airlifted from the Kabul airport. And now the focus is on the fate of the thousands of people left behind, including Canadian citizens, permanent residents and their families, and the Afghan citizens Canada had promised to bring to this country. The acting chief of the defence staff spoke about the difficult decision to end Canada's airlift. We stayed in Afghanistan for as long as we could. We were amongst the last to cease evacuation operations. We wish we could have stayed longer and rescued everyone who was so desperate to leave. That we could not is truly heartbreaking. But the circumstances on the ground rapidly deteriorated. Now, this is an extraordinary humanitarian crisis, but make no mistake, this is a crisis of the Taliban's making. Well, let's bring in two guests now who have a long history and expertise with Afghanistan and Canada's role there. Lauren Oates is Executive Director of Canadian Women for Women in Afghanistan. And Ben Roswell is the President of the Canadian International Council and a former Canadian diplomat in Afghanistan, former Deputy Ambassador there. Uh, thank you both for being with me today. Appreciate it. Uh, Lauren Oates, can I start with you by getting your reaction uh, to the news today of the end of Canada's emergency airlift mission. The Prime Minister says government's doing all it can, did all it could to get people out and will continue to, uh, to try to do that. Uh, what's your assessment of, of this mission and what's, what are your thoughts today as it comes to an end? Um, yeah, it's been one of a series of bad news in the past 24 hours. We started hearing reports of that a couple days ago that it was likely to end early and indeed it was announced today that um, the last of the flights has gone. Uh, six days early. So that was um, really, really disappointing. And then to cap it all off, of course, there was this terrible attack at the airport this morning. So um, it's been a, a really, really um, tough 24 hours for Afghans who are desperately trying to get out um, and then heard the news about evacuations ending uh, by Canada and some other countries. 
and uh, and then the violence that was outside the airport today. So it's really hard to hang on to any any semblance of hope under the this recent news. Uh, let's talk. We'll we'll look forward in a moment. But uh, Ben Roswell, uh, what's your reaction to what the end of the emergency airlift means for the people left behind in Afghanistan? Well, I think the attack today, uh, the su- double suicide bombings at the gate, really tell it all. This is a terrible, terrible humanitarian tragedy, and much, much worse is coming. Um, I'm glad that. Canada was able to get out who they were able to get out in such a short period of time, but we have left many, many people behind. Uh, and it's um, it's right for us to focus on those that had a connection to the embassy and our forces in Afghanistan. Um, but my heart really goes out to all Afghans today. They're going to have to live under this government, a government that A, doesn't even have control of its territory, B, can't keep ISIS out. I mean, this was an ISIS attack today, can't protect the civilians has already ordered women to stay home. I mean, it's just such a dark chapter for the Afghans. It's opened up now. Uh, Lauren Oates, was, was, in your view, was this uh, airlift uh, mission, was it a failure? Uh, could, could, uh, what went wrong here? Um, you know, I agree every every person who got out is one life potentially saved, but um, it was too little, too late. There were too few flights. There were too few people on those flights. And then it ended early. I, I fully acknowledge that um, Canada's government is working under extremely difficult conditions and they're subject to U.S. decisions. Um, and it does look like the evacuation ended early because the U.S. has prioritized uh, evacuating their own citizens and green card holders at the expense of um, Afghans who were qualified to get onto evacuation flights but weren't were denied entry to the airport. Um, uh, but I have to say that you know hearing firsthand reports from people I know who were in that exact location where where those bombs went off um, uh, earlier today, talking about having Canadian soldiers tell them that they can't come in despite having Canadian visas and paperwork and having been instructed by the Canadian government to come to the airport um, made me feel a sense of, of shame and embarrassment um, uh, for being Canadian when, when this is happening to them. It was just, um, you know, a, a, a one layer of betrayal on another layer of betrayal. So Overall, I think it was um, it was disappointing, and I hope we find an alternative way to get people out uh, with the airport being inaccessible. Uh, ben Roswell, what's what's your view of, of how this mission unfolded? I agree with uh, uh, the statement that it was too little, too late, and yet I, I guess I'd prefer to focus on the future. There are a ton of Afghans that need to get out of that country. This would have been the best way to get them out. Um, an airport evacuation is always pretty limited in numbers. We should expect that there will be millions of people trying to leave Afghanistan, and I hope that we will take the shame and the disappointment that I think we're right to feel now and that Afghans certainly feel for us and apply that to a determination to get the global migration crisis that has now begun and will continue for months and possibly years to get that right. If we can take this sense now, this certainty that we have support from across Canada, that Canadians care deeply about Afghans and about refugees, and use that to get the policy right, to coordinate with all the other countries about where uh, these millions of Afghans should go, who should pay for it, to make sure that there are humanitarian quarters now established across the land borders since the airport is no longer viable. The game is certainly not up for the many, many people in Afghanistan that deserve to get to freedom 
and to uh, countries where their human rights uh, were, are protected for those that are women, where their rights, as, uh, basic rights as human beings are respected. So let's, let us turn our attention now to that. Let, let's do that. Uh, Canada announced a $50 million, uh, uh, Lauren Oates, in humanitarian aid today. Um, what do you believe needs to happen next? The, the Prime Minister talked today about you know, trying to pressure the Taliban to let people leave who want to leave, uh, but Canada won't recognize uh, the Taliban as a legitimate government there. Uh, what practically can Canada do to play a role here in either getting those people out that still need to get out or in dealing with the humanitarian crisis? Yeah, uh, I, I agree. The focus now has to be on the migration crisis. People are heading to the land borders with the airport no longer being a viable option. And um, and they need protection because they uh, reports I'm hearing at the borders. It's a it's worse, actually, than the airport in terms of the crowding and the, the danger of that. And the border is simply being closed, um, both Taliban on the Afghan side and uh, Pakistani military on the Pakistan side, um, not not allowing uh, civilian access. They're only letting um, trucks and military through. So we need to work, Canada needs to work with the UN uh, Refugee Commission to have monitors there to facilitate access, um, to make sure there's humanitarian access. And I think Canada should move the focus of its evacuation mission to Pakistan, which would, of course, require uh, working with the, the Pakistani government to um, make sure that Afghans can reach safe haven in Pakistan and those who are eligible uh, to come to Canada are supported mm. to get there out of Pakistan. In fact, uh, the pa Pakistan's High Commissioner to Canada today is suggesting that uh, Pakistan is willing to help. Uh, Mr. Roswell, in practical terms, uh, the government says it's going to do all it can to, to, to try and deal with what will be now a humanitarian crisis and to get people out. Um, you've worked there. Uh, you, you know, what, what's your advice to where the, what the federal government needs to do next to try and um, get these people out and deal with, a, with the ensuing crisis ahead? My advice is that we, uh, we learned from the lessons of some other massive migratory crises in the last uh, few, few years. This is becoming a more regular event. These are not one-offs when countries fall to horrific regimes uh, and millions of people are on the go. I mean, we've seen that. We saw it in Syria. Uh, we've seen it in Venezuela, different circumstances, but similar numbers and similar impacts on not only neighboring countries, but an entire, uh, entire region. The World Refugee and Migration Council has done some excellent work to draw lessons from those previous ones, and they're calling for, first, uh, political coordination. You mentioned appointing a special envoy. Each country um, should have some kind of point of contact for that envoy so that you've got coordination. Then call a pledging conference, so we've got the cash, the international community is able to put money forward for this, and then we should be planning out as much as possible in advance how many refugees are going to go to which country. So it's not just on the burden on the neighboring countries. All right. Uh, Lauren Oates, Ben Roswell, uh, thank you both for your time today. Uh, we'll continue to uh, focus on this crisis in Afghanistan and Canada's response to it. Thank you both for your time today. Well, let's bring in our panel of party commentators now to discuss the latest developments in the election campaign. With us this week, Greg McEachern, a Liberal commentator, Lisa Raitz, a former Conservative MP and Cabinet Minister and a former leadership candidate for the party, and Kiyavash Najafi is an NDP commentator. It's good to see you all. Uh, Greg, let me start with you and begin with the awful events unfolding in Afghanistan and, and the end of Canada's emergency airlift mission. Uh, several thousand people promised passage to Canada have been left behind. The danger on full display today is we saw those suicide bombings uh, near the airport. Um, 
Could this be a defining issue in the campaign? And, and how damaging could it be to, the, to Justin Trudeau's efforts at re-election, especially if, if there are people who are promised passage to Canada who are killed in Afghanistan? Well, first of all, um, having friends who have served him in Afghanistan, um, lots of reporter friends who were embedded, um, you, you know, I'm listening to them. I'm, I'm, it's really tough. Uh, really, really tough to hear what's going on. And full disclosure, um, Peter, in July, I worked with some uh, current and former journalists um, to help try to get this issue mm -hmm. in July uh, on to the attention of media. Because, you know, the, the tough part is, and I'm going to be a little cynical here, I'm watching lots of people that have not written about Afghanistan in a very long time suddenly become experts overnight. We've seen, someone said on Twitter, we see people pivoting from you know, experts on vaccine to experts on foreign policy. But we left our combat role in 2011, as, as Lisa would well know. 2014, we, we ended our training mission. Um, so to answer your question is, is, could this be an issue? Absolutely. And, and I'm glad it's getting the attention that it is. I wish it had gotten more attention earlier. But the challenge is that we can't look at this in isolation. We haven't been there in a combat role in 10 years yet. The, the Americans have, and we're looking at President Biden, and it's not a good look for him right now. Um, the Americans didn't seem to have the intel. Um, the Prime Minister of the okay. UK, Boris Johnson, said in June that the Taliban would never come back. So there is a huge international intelligence bail on this. Um, right, but the big question being the big question being asked in relation to the campaign is how has Justin Trudeau handled this, and and was he on it soon enough, and was he on it quickly enough to try and get these people out of Afghanistan? I guess my answer to that would be that they had a very rough first week. And, and my guess would be that the the issue in Afghanistan was probably front and center as opposed to trying to get the campaign out okay. the door. All right. Um, you can't you can't do both. Well, obviously. OK, Lisa Raid, uh, Aaron O'Toole says Justin Trudeau is late to act uh, to spirit people out of Afghanistan. He he has a military background. He, he was struggling today to say what he'd be doing right now to deal with the crisis. Uh, do you think this will be a defining issue? And does Aaron O'Toole need to say more about what he'd be doing differently uh, or what he would be doing right now to deal with the crisis as it unfolds? I think Greg put his finger on it um, correctly when he mentioned that earlier in the summer, he was trying to help get this issue on the on the radar of uh, some folks in the media so that there would be some stories written about it. And I truly believe that this is an issue that's going to be driven by the media, not necessarily by any of the parties who are running in this election. And that's why it makes it such a volatile topic in the middle of a general election, because the the you know, the the criticisms are going to be coming from the media and from the people with the personal relationships, mm. as opposed to necessarily some kind of campaign coming from the other parties. And I, you know, I could see um, Jagmeet Singh saying yesterday, this is a failure, but it, it's he's hesitant and how he comes out about it. I think this is something that has surprised all of the parties. And I also think it's extremely sensitive that you don't necessarily mm. want to politicize it to the, the greatest extent um, so that people get uh, uncomfortable with yeah. it. This is going to be driven by the media. It, it, it's full-fledged in, in the campaign, though, now, Kiev Ash. And, and I guess what role do you think it's playing? And um, 
what, you know, uh, should we be hearing more, asked about Aaron O'Toole, more about uh, what Jagmeet Singh uh, thinks, rather than condemning it, which he's done, uh, and, and beyond that, should what would he be doing to deal with the crisis as it unfolds? Because people are talking about leadership in connection with this issue. Yeah. I, I mean, Peter, the, what we're watching now was in the making for the last 20 years. This is not something that Justin Trudeau could have fixed last week or Jagmeet Singh or Aaron O'Toole is going to fix it if they become prime minister in the next few weeks. Uh, this was in the making for the last 20 years. For those who said that this mission was not working well from the get-go, uh, they were right. And we should have listened to them rather than mock them or call them Taliban Jack, as the conservatives did uh, back in the day. Uh, it, what happened today is tragic. You know, 60 people lost their lives. They were standing knee-deep in a sewage canal waiting for their Western allies to take them to safety. Not only their lives was lost, I cannot imagine anybody in that region ever trusting promises from the Western allies ever again. Uh, we just left them to die. And uh, how does it impact the campaign? As I said, I don't think you can you know, put the blame on any Canadian politician for what's happening in, in uh, Afghanistan today. As I said, it's been being made in the past 20 years. But it does highlight the question that is still on everybody's minds. Why are we having this election in the middle of a pandemic, in the middle of so many other crises? The parliament had two more years to go. Why did Justin Trudeau call it? He has not answered that question yet. And I think that's okay. what's going on together. Greg, I, 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 let me stay with this issue for a little bit more and, I, and to all of you, but I'll start with Greg here. Is this one of those issues? Uh, and I, maybe it's asking a lot, even in a campaign of adversaries where leaders should come together and meet or talk about a common approach that takes the politics out of this crisis. Maybe step off the campaign trail for an afternoon, connect and figure out how Canada should move ahead. Yeah, it's it's not a, a bad suggestion at all, Peter. You know, I, I, our, our colleague from the NDP just talked about the last 20 years. I mean, realistically, I mean, you know, this is over centuries. Ask the Soviet, the former Soviet Union, what it's like to wage war in Afghanistan and how that went for them, you know, and, 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 you know, to the earlier point, we should have known there were lots of things that were, that were known. Um, I, I, I think the support for the mission um, can be conflated sometimes with the support for what we contributed or what our men and women contributed there. And I think Lisa's right when she talks about, you know, the danger around making this very, very political. There is, you know, I, I'm aware of, you know, from a very uh, stark distance that there were still things going on in terms of trying to rescue people that were, you know, very much still in play and could still very well be in play for days to come. Hmm. And the, the problem Look. for government right now is finding the priority of making the best of that situation and then trying to brief the politicians during a campaign. Right. I, I mean, think the emphasis right now needs to be on getting whoever we can Lisa, out. Lisa Raid, how, how do politicians resist the urge to uh, politicize this issue in a campaign uh, and maybe uh, uh, consider uh, the better angels maybe and think about how do, we how do we down tools, so to speak, and sort of come together? Maybe that's a little too kumbaya for an election campaign, but what do you think? It is and it isn't, though, because uh, I will tell you, I will admit that because I'm a policy geek, I did go out and Google the caretaker convention to see what exactly are the triggers for that kind of, I guess, moment where the leaders all come together and they do have a briefing on what's going on. I really can't think of a more uh, appropriate example than what's happening in Afghanistan right now. 
for Justin Trudeau acting as prime minister to consult with the parties on what's going on and brief them up, quite frankly. I can't think of something else that would be even more important than what's happening right now in Afghanistan, especially given the media coverage. So if he doesn't do that, I, I think that he can be criticized for his Peter. handling of it. All right. In, he, in he, Kiev, Peter, like, if I could, if if I could just, just add to that, there's a, a, a precedent with the Gulf War when Audrey McLaughlin was added to the Privy Council. I believe Aaron O'Toole as a cabinet minister already would be. All right. Um, they, they could appoint Mr. Singh to the Privy Council and absolutely have that conversation. Maybe, maybe we've started. Maybe we'll start something here. Kiavesh, what are your thoughts on that? And, and, and could political leaders come together on this for the uh, for a greater good beyond the campaign? Could they? Absolutely. I honestly don't know what it is that they could accomplish at this stage of the campaign. But I go back to, you know, when you said about the political implications of these situations, um, Lisa was saying she can't think of any other reason that politicians would come together. The fourth wave, the forest fires in, in B.C. There are all sorts of reasons that our politicians should be in Parliament spending the next two years of a mandate that they got two years ago working on these crises. We are in an election for absolutely no reason. The prime minister has not yet made that case to Canadians. And I think that's the main reason why he's hurting in the polls. All right. I want to take a, a, a broader sort of look at the campaign here. A, a, a good discussion on this so far. Uh, Lisa, let me start with you. Uh, lot, I, the leaders, by and large, are doing what I think most people expected they would do in terms of policy and promises. Maybe not so much Aaron O'Toole, who campaigned to the right to win the party leadership, now campaigning to the left with big spending promises, overtures to unions and workers, taking, uh, you know, talking about imposing policies on, on companies and corporations. How does he do that without risking, the alien, uh, risking alienating the party base? Well, he's not alienating me. I'm loving it. I'm loving the announcements that have been coming out. Um, I think what you have to take a look at, what I think they're doing in a clever way, I'm not part of the, of the campaign, right. but what I do note is every day there's two announcements that go out. One has to do with one of these big public policy announcements that does hug the center quite well. And then the other one has to do with an ethics breach or a question of propriety of a candidate or a former cabinet minister on the liberal side. And I think doing that kind of pincer approach is satisfying the base as well as satisfying those who want to take a look at the conservatives for their policy. So, you know, if they keep marching forward on that basis, they're going to be uh, they're going to be in good shape. And as well, Peter, one last thing to add. Uh, if you're being successful, that brings your base together pretty fast. Uh, yeah, I think I've said before, there's no no tonic, uh, no no better tonic for dissent than success, right? Uh, Kiavash, Aaron O'Toole, as I say, making a pitch to traditional NDP and liberal supporters. What do you think of that strategy? And does that present uh, a, a real threat, do you think, to the NDP? Uh, no, I don't think so. And it, it, it's interesting. We talk about Aaron O'Toole uh, running a good campaign. And yeah, by, by all accounts, he's done better than expected. But to be frank, the expectations were really, really low when this campaign started. And it, some of the best polls we've seen for the Conservatives still show them below where Andrew Scheer was at the end of 2019, which, you know, reminder, he lost that campaign. So uh, I don't think this, I, I think we're now, we overstated the fall of the Conservatives a few weeks ago, and now we're overstating the rise of the Conservatives. Uh, what I'm watching is Jagmeet Singh's popularity going through the roof. And uh, if he can translate that into uh, votes, I think that's where okay. things are going to be very uh, interesting. Greg, you get the last 40 seconds here about uh, wh wh whether you think Aaron O'Toole's made a pivot here and what do you think, it, what effect could it have? I think Lisa's point is bang on, but, it, you know, he had to bring his base back together. 
And that's not exactly as the, as the poll that was just mentioned. He's pulling le- uh, O'Toole is pulling less than what Shear did. So I think his first task was how to, you know, how to bring his, his party together. It'll be interesting if the, in the first you know, week and a half, the NDP and the, and the Conservatives have brought out all their new stuff. And then we kind of get back to, you know, this is a point where when the election's called, people are making a big purchase almost, to put it in consumer ter- terms. They're going to take a good look at everyone. There's always that tightening in the first week and a half. And I think that's what we've seen. I think O'Toole, the fact that his, um, his Conservative MPs who were very unhappy about a video a couple of days before the election seemed to be quieter. Probably a good sign for the Conservatives. All right. Uh, lots to talk about in the days ahead. Uh, Greg McKechnie and Lisa Raid, Kia Vashnajafi. Thanks so much for your time tonight. All of you take care, everyone. Thank you. Bye. That's all for this campaign edition of Primetime Politics. I'm Peter Van Dusen. From all of us here at CPAC, thanks for watching. See you next time.